Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. So um, I get the joy of getting to launch a new series tonight, which is so exciting. We've been going through a series about community for a little while and PM services. And tonight we're starting a brand new series called The Worship Series. Da, da, da. Very creative name. We're actually going to be speaking for about seven weeks about worship. And we just had an amazing time in worship. And Steve's transition was awesome. That was he stole my message already, but anyway, all good. Um, God's yeah, clearly speaking about something to us. And so we're really going to dive into worship over the next seven weeks in the PM service. We'll be looking at what worship is, why we worship, how to worship, the power of worship, the significance of intimacy um, in our worship with God. Um, we're going to be having a Q&A panel and a guest speaker, and the last night of the whole series, we'll be having a whole worship night. So for the whole night, we'll just have worship and really get a chance to lean in and kind of practice worshiping. Not that it's, you know, it is. I think you do get to practice. You have to lean in and you have to grow in your ability to worship well. So we'll have a whole night that we get to apply it and we get to bless the heart of God through worship, which is going to be so amazing. And um, yeah, so I, my first real experience of worship was in this church. So I went to a different church growing up and it wasn't quite as Pentecostal charismatic as this. The music quality wasn't very good. I actually got on stage and was a singer at one point there and I have the worst voice in the whole world. So the quality just, you know, wasn't quite up there for the work, like for the singing there. And obviously people there still had a great worship experience, but it wasn't something that really connected with me. And so I started coming here when I was um, 12 years old. And what I loved about this place was the worship. I just loved coming and experiencing God's presence. And I felt like I'd known about God my whole life, but coming in and experiencing worship and experiencing the presence of God here, I knew God for the first time. I really knew him for myself. And it wasn't that I didn't have a faith before in God myself. It wasn't that I, you know, wasn't a Christian, but I hadn't really experienced God in that way before, which was such a cool thing for me. My, my first worship album, I think a lot of us might remember a worship album we just loved when we were in youth. Mine was the Hillsong United I Heart Revolution. It was like this double disc CD where they like took all their best songs and they traveled around the world and performed them all live and there's like songs on there in other languages. It's, it was the best. I was listening to it as I was prepping tonight and it's still the best. And um, yeah, so that was kind of my introduction to worship. And that's how I started loving worship. And for so many of us, that's our experience of worship, is that we came into a church like this, um, maybe not this one, but a church like this, and we got to experience something we'd never experienced before. We were worshiping, people around us were lifting our hands, the music was amazing, and we felt God's presence. And we had a connection with God through worship. And that's what, for so many of us, that's what our understanding of worship is. And that is 100% what worship is. But through this series, we really want to, and tonight especially, I really want to help broaden our understanding of what worship is and understand what the Bible really teaches about worship. And if I was to really, you know, teach what the whole Bible teaches on worship, firstly, I do not know that. But secondly, we'd be here for like a week. So tonight, we're just going to do a quick little overview of a few key points that the Bible pulls out about what worship is and why we worship. And you might have something on your heart that's so significant to you in worship, and I might not say it, and that might really annoy you, and that's totally cool. But we're going to be doing this series for seven weeks. So hopefully someone will touch on the aspect of worship that's really significant to you because it's got many facets. And so we'll be talking about a couple of those tonight. So firstly, I wanted to 
do the Bible nerd thing and look at the original um, language of the words worship. So worship's found a bunch of times in the Old Testament and a bunch of times in the New Testament. I'm pretty sure from my quick look through my Strong's Concordance, worship is found the most in Revelation. The last book of the Bible is heaps and heaps and heaps about worship in the book of Revelation. Um, but it's all throughout the Bible from beginning to end. It speaks about worship. And so the Old Testament, so the story of God's people before Jesus is the Old Testament. And that was originally written in the Hebrew language. And so in the Hebrew language, the word that we translate as worship is um, shaka, which means to bow down, or abad, which means to work or to serve. So they're the two main words, mainly shaka, to bow down, but sometimes to serve is another word that was used um, in the Old Testament for worship. And then in the New Testament, the word that they use is proskenuo or something like that, which means to kiss or to do reverence to. We'll be talking a bit more about that one later, but I'll focus on the Old Testament understanding of worship first, because that's sometimes a good place to start is in the Old Testament to see what the root of these things was. Um, so the first thing I want to really touch on with worship is that a key part of worship is who is the king of your heart? So throughout the entire Old Testament, God was constantly challenging his people about their worship, about who they were going to worship. You know, choose this day who you will serve. Will you serve God or will you serve others? And in um, the Ten, you know, I think a lot of us have probably heard of the Ten Commandments before. And the second commandment in the Ten Commandments is, you not, must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth. You must not bow down to them or to worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. And so from the, from the very start of God's law, he makes it very clear that worship is about who is king of our heart and who has our affection, who do we follow as a ruler. And so he makes it very clear from the start here that he does not want his people to be worshipping other gods. And they lived in a society, like it's a little bit different today. We might be aware of other gods. We might be aware of Buddha or Hindu gods. But in their society, they were immersed in a world where there was many gods. When I was in India, I kind of got an experience of that because there'd often be murals on the walls where there'd be, you know, a painting of a Hindu god and then there'd be a painting of Muhammad and there'd be a painting of another Hindu god and then Buddha and then another Hindu god and then Jesus and they were all painted on the wall. And it was kind of this impression of these are all the gods. You can just worship whichever one that you want amongst all these gods. And that was how worship kind of worked um, from what I experienced and my, like my understanding of how it worked over there. And I think it was a little bit similar in Jesus' time. There was Baal, there was Moloch, there was... Asherah. Um, there was probably heaps more, but they're the main ones that's talked about in the Bible. And so God said, I want you to be a people who worship me and not other gods. And so I don't think he was saying like, I want you to be a people that sing songs to me and don't sing songs to other God. And that's like part of it. But what he was really calling them to do was to be people that served him. He was saying, I want you to be people where your loyalty is to me where I am the king of your heart, where I am the king of your life. And that's in some ways the foundation of worship. And I think that understanding of worship is still kind of prevalent in our culture, that we understand that when someone says, oh, like, what, like, do you worship or what do you worship? It's this question of, do you believe in God? Do you worship a God? Is your loyalty towards a God? You know, you, people might even call this a worship center as a church. It's a place where we come to worship. It's a place where we come to give our loyalty to our God. And so 
the question in the Old Testament was very much, you know, are you going to follow me? Are you going to worship me? Are you going to worship Baal? Are you going to worship Molech? He was a sicko God. Oh, he was absolutely awful. He was a God of um, child sacrifices. It's just horrifying that the people ever worshipped him. But um, that question is, is true today. Who are we going to worship? And so, you know, there are other idols that we can worship in our lives and in our hearts. You know, we can worship the... And, and it's not like we'd probably put those words to it. We wouldn't say, I worship money or I worship my work. But the way, what rules in our heart, what's priority in our heart might be something other than God. So it might be money or it might be our children. That might be like the thing that drives our life is our loving and serving our children, which is a good thing, but should never come above God. It might be... Um, did I say work? Work is a huge one. It might be just pleasure. That's often what a lot of people seek. They just want to have fun. They just want to be comfortable. And they chase after that as the highest value and as the highest good. It might be just doing whatever you want and not having to answer to anyone. That might be your highest good and that might be your highest um, God in a sense. And so a huge part of worship in a really broad sense is the question of who is king in our hearts? Who are we following? Who are we giving our life to? Do we worship God or do we worship money? Jesus like, specifically asked that question. We can only serve God or serve money. And it's the same language. Do we worship God or do we worship money? And so that's a really broad, broad, but I think that that kind of is the overall context of it, is that our worship is our heart loyalty. It's the question of who is the king in our life? Who's the king in our heart? Who's the one that has our ultimate loyalty? And Jesus reiterated that in the New Testament. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He said, God needs to be your number one. He needs to be the king of your heart. And so as we look more, so that's like the kind of broad, but then looking more specifically at worship, in the Old Testament, the people worshipped very much through going to the tabernacle, and then later on they went to the temple. Um, so this is really cool. This is a bit of a side trail, but hopefully it's interesting to you. So there's a, this humongous part of Exodus where you just read pages and pages and pages and pages of God giving really, really, really specific instructions to Moses about how to build the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a place where the people were to come to worship in the desert. And it's like insanely specific. Like he gave him the measurements of how long the beams had to be. Like it was insanely specific. And then, as if that wasn't enough, there's a whole bunch more chapters that explain, and then Moses did build the beams to this specification. And then he did build the thing. Like it's like two times in the Bible it gives this insanely detailed explanation. Like we could build a tabernacle, literally. Like it tells us exactly how to do it. And so the reason, firstly, I think it has it twice because it shows how specifically Moses obeyed God, which is really cool. But secondly, I think the reason it's so specific is that God was giving them the pattern of the throne room in heaven. If you actually look at Revelation, there's a lot of things in Revelation where it talks about a giant sea, which was a huge part of um, the tabernacle. It was a giant sea. It wasn't really a sea. It was like a big giant bowl in the tabernacle. Um, it talks in Revelation about there being gold altars and incense altars, and that's super the same imagery that's used in the tabernacle and what they had to build in there. It talks about there being a candlestick with seven flames, I think, which is like the sevenfold spirit. And there's the same candlestick in the tabernacle. And so God was really clearly giving them this, light, this, um, dot, this understanding of how to build a place of worship. Because 
when we read Revelation, especially Revelation 4, it gives us this image of the throne room of God, which is like the coolest thing ever, like where the God of all eternity sits on his throne, like as if that's not awesome. And he gives John this vision of it. And it's this place of worship where all day and all night there are elders and there are these weird creature, beast things worshipping God all day and all night. And so God took that pattern of the throne room and he revealed that to Moses so that he could build a tabernacle and a temple according to the pattern of what the throne room in heaven is like. Like that's like pretty amazing. That's like pretty cool. And so the symbolism is that when they were coming to the tabernacle, when they were coming to the temple, they were coming to worship God. So when they were coming to worship God, what did they do? The first thing they would do is they would get their sheep from their backyard. Do you have a video, Anna, of sheep? All right, so this, this is literally a video of my backyard right now. It's a little bit terrifying. We literally have miniature lambs living in our backyard at the moment. It is one of the most ridiculous things we've ever done. I'm kind of regretting it. But they're pretty cute, and I'm hoping they shut up and don't keep disturbing our neighbors, or we will definitely have to get rid of them. But anyway, they are totally adorable. I was going to bring them tonight as a demonstration. However, we tried walking them on a dog lead, and they wouldn't come. It was a total fail, and so you just have to do with the video, but that is what they would do. So they would have, like, literally, they would have lambs living, like, in their, so I think it even says, like, not says, but I think from research, they found that lambs even sometimes lived in their homes, which is gross. They poo everywhere, like, so much. I don't know why we bought livestock. It's insane. Anyway, these are our sheep, and they're called John and Deer, John Deer, because they're, like, we bought them to be a lawnmower, because Dave doesn't like mowing the lawn. I hope, I hope it all works out. Anyway, the point is that they would go to their backyard and they would get the sheep and they would literally bring the sheep to the temple and they would stand before the altar and they'd put their hand on the sheep and they would, the sheep would be killed and it would be burnt on the altar, which is really gruesome. But it's what all the other surrounding nations, like how they sacrificed and how they worship. And so it was really, uh, even though to us it's like, what a weird thing. To them it was really understandable. Like they understood the symbolism and significance of it really well. And so what I think often we, when we think of that kind of sacrifice, we think that they were doing that to get forgiveness for their sins. And there are certain sacrifices that were for that. But there was actually a bunch of other sacrifices that had nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. They were to do with things like celebration and thanksgiving. There was one called the peace offering that was to do with celebration and thanksgiving. So I'm just going to read it quickly. It says, If you present an animal to the Lord from the herd as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or female, but it must have no defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head and slaughter it at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood against all the sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. And this is the part that God really wants of the whole sheep. He wants all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys, the fat around the kidneys near the loins, and the liver. That's what God wanted. So they would cut up the sheep, take out the bits God wanted, and put them on the, on the altar. Um, and then it says, they would burn it on the altar and it said, this is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Cool thing. God really likes barbecue, right? Because they were burning the meat and it was a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I mean, that's pretty cool. I feel like it's a gift when someone cooks me a good barbecue. Anyway, and so what was cool about this, right, is that they came to the tagamacle to worship. 
And they did not come in with the posture of, I'm coming into the tabernacle to get something from God. I'm coming into the tabernacle to get an experience from God. I'm coming into the tabernacle to get filled. That wasn't how they approached worship and the tabernacle. They came to the tabernacle with a gift for God. Carrying a sheep is really awkward and uncomfortable and dirty, and I know all about it now. And they would come with their sheep, and they would bring it, and they would bring it to the tabernacle, and they would say, this is my gift to you, God. And I think that that's really significant that we need to realize that first and foremost, our worship is a gift to God. We're actually called to minister to the heart of God. The fact that we can minister to the heart of God is insane. Like God makes himself so vulnerable to us that our worship actually influences his heart and his emotions. Like that's really full on. It talks over and over again in the Old Testament. God refers to himself as like a jilted lover like a lover who's been discarded. Like that's how he refers to himself. And he's like, won't you love me? What have I done that you won't love me? Like that's his heart towards us. He desires our love. He desires our worship. And so when we come to worship, first and foremost, we need to come with an attitude of I'm bringing a special gift to God. When they would burn that sheep and it would smell like a good old barbecue, God was pleased. It was a pleasing aroma to God. That was their heart in coming to worship. And what's really cool is that God's like an amazing God, right? And he's so generous. And so with this particular offering, the peace offering, God just wanted like the gross liver and the kidneys, which the only person I know that likes eating those is my dad. Um, And the fat, he's like, I'll just take the kidneys and the liver and the fat and you can have the rest back and have a feast, which is really cool. And that wasn't with all the sacrifices, but with this specific one, it was. Some of the sacrifices, no one got to eat any of it. It just sat on the altar and the whole thing got burnt up. Some of them, the priests actually got to eat the meat from it and the Levites and no one else got to eat it. But with this particular one, God actually gave the meat back and said, I'll take the gross bits, we'll burn them up on the altar and you can have the the lamb shanks and you can eat those. And I think that that's this beautiful picture that we actually come to God and we worship him and we give our hearts to him. We come to minister to him. But so often God actually comes and he gives back to us in that place of worship. Not because that's what worship's about. Not because we necessarily deserve it, but because he's a good father and he loves us. And sometimes we'll have times in worship where we're just not feeling it. We're not feeling God's presence. We're not feeling a lot of connection. And that's okay, you know, because we actually worship to bless God. We don't worship to have nice feelings for ourselves. We don't worship to feel good. We don't even worship to hear God's voice. And all those things are amazing and they often happen and God's so good to us. But primarily we worship to bless the heart of God. Your worship, when you love God and when you worship him, that blesses the heart of God. In Psalm 103, it says, and there's also that song we sing, Matt Redmond one, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. And if we literally think about that, what it's saying is, O my soul, O me, bless God. God is blessed by us when we worship him. And so I guess our question in worship is, is your soul blessing God? When God's looking down from heaven at your soul and at your worship, is it making him smile? Is it blessing him? And that's what worship is, which is actually this really high call Like, it's this really high call that, like, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is like, come worship me. That blesses my heart. 
in the, especially in the time of David, and I think there was other times when this happened, but especially during the time when King David was king, there was a whole team of Levites that spent all day and all night ministering before the, just worshiping God. They didn't have other jobs. All they did was worship God. And that was considered enough of a priority that they were paid to do that. They were paid to just stand there and worship God all day and all night because it was such a high priority to King David that God's heart was blessed. And that's amazing. And it's this crazy thing where it's all about God, but then we're the apple of his eye. And so when we come into this moment with God, he just blesses us because he loves us so much. But primarily, it's always about him ministering to his heart and blessing him. And so the question is, you know, we don't bring our sheep anymore. Thank goodness. I was really going to try and it was just too hard. And thank goodness I don't have to bring my sheep to church every week to give it to God as worship. So what does God actually want from us these days? You know, we don't bring our sheep. So what does he actually want? Oh, I didn't bookmark this one. I've memorized it. All good. Um, in Romans 12:1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So Paul makes it really clear to us that our act of worship to God, what God actually wants in worship is us, is our lives. So he doesn't want dead sheep anymore. He wants us to be a living sacrifice, actually like as though we are putting ourselves on the altar before God, our living, our breathing lives. He doesn't want us as dead sacrifices. Sometimes, no, he wants us as living sacrifices, living and breathing and loving people and actually living for him, saying that my entire life, God, is on the altar for you. My entire life, God, is given up for you. That's what he says is our spiritual act of worship before God. And so I think that there's two kind of things that this looks like. So um, I can use this as a real example now. I am actually married now. And so, so I'm married and Dave and I, we do everyday life together, right? We, you know, in the morning when we get out of bed, he's there and I'm there. And then, you know, when we get home from work, he's there and I'm there. And we, have, we do daily life together. And then there's also part times when we'll have time that we specially set aside to be together, like a date night or something like that. And worship looks very much the same. Worship needs to be part of our daily life with God, but there are also times that we specifically set aside to worship God. And so what we did tonight in coming and worshiping was exactly that. It was a time that we set aside to be like, God, this is going to be a special time for me to connect with you. And we worship God in those moments. Or maybe you're having a quiet time and you're listening to worship music and you connect with God in that moment. And that's a significant time of worship. But it also needs to be part of our everyday living, breathing lives is an act of worship. And as I get into giving some examples of that, maybe the band could come up. We're not too far away from wrapping up. Even in the Old Testament, God made it really clear that he required obedience more than sacrifice. There's this story in um, 1 Samuel 15 where King Saul disobeys God in order to give him sacrifices, which is like a weird thing to do. I think it was just probably like a last-minute excuse thrown in there, to be honest. But um, Samuel is really clear with him. He says, God desires obedience more than sacrifice. 
And so if we want to take our normal, everyday, living, breathing lives and give it to God, he wants, he wants our obedience. And I know that doesn't sound super like romantic or like spiritual, but that's actually what he wants from us. In um, John 15 or 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do as I command. Remember my dad asking me about that. He's like, how will God know if you love him? And I'm like, oh, you know, if I pray to him and if I, you know, do nice things for him. And he's like, no, it's about obedience. And I'm like, what? No, it's not. And he like, show me this verse. He's like, no, it is. If you love me, you will do what I command. And I think sometimes our approach to God's kind of like this joke I've heard heaps of times, you know, where like the wife, like the husband's like to the wife, oh, I would do anything for you. I would give up my life for you. I would die for you. And she's like, oh my gosh, can you just take out the trash? Like, that's all I want from you. Just take out the trash. And I think sometimes God's like that with us as well. Like, oh God, I love you. And we come into worship and I love you. And he's like, oh, I love that. But will you just obey me? <laughs> will you just actually listen to me with your life? Will you actually just turn your everyday life into worship for me and obedience for me? And so that's kind of how we live our everyday lives following God. There's a million more answers to that, but I think at the core of it, it's about obedience. God makes it really clear that he wants us to obey him. And the second thing is to worship in those special moments. Like I said, in the New Testament, um, that word proskuneo, which is translated as worship, means to kiss or to do reverence to. And I think it's really beautiful that the word for worship even gets more intimate in the New Testament because our experience and our understanding of God is so much closer in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they worshiped God and they literally didn't experience the presence of God. They couldn't. One person once a year got to go into the presence of God. Here now, we all have access to the presence of God. You know, anytime we come into worship, we can experience God um, in that place. And God comes and meets with us in a special way that wasn't really like that in the Old Testament. And so, when it says to kiss, it's like this sense of intimacy with God, where we're close with God in worship. And like I said, he wants our lives on the altar. And what he actually wants is our love. Like I said, like the whole jilted lover thing, what he really wants is our love. And so when we come into worship, God wants us to even use lover, like language of like a lover. God, I love you. God, I love being close to you. God, I need you. God, thank you so much for doing these things for me. God, I want to be close to you always. You know, when we're worshiping more, they're singing these songs. This, this can be the language of our heart that actually blesses God. Um, and that is an offering of worship before God. And one thing that God's been showing me in the past couple months, because it's been a little bit crazy for me the past couple months, but one of the things he's been speaking to me so clearly is about making, like being ready for those spontaneous special moments with God. Um, and having our eyes and our hearts open to see the joy and the beauty of life. I don't, uh, I've been reading a book called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. It's a really old book. And he just, it was so inspiring to me. And he just talks so much about how we take it for granted that rivers have water in them. Like, that's amazing. Rivers literally run with water that we desperately need to live. And like, that's amazing. Like, wow, why? Why does that happen? I don't know. Why are apples green? I don't know, that's amazing. And so he just like kind of has this approach to life and it's just so inspired me to kind of look at the everyday little special things in life and, and see God in the moment. You know, maybe you're having a really great time with your kid and you're like, man, God, I see you in this moment and turn that into a moment of worship. God, thank you. I love you, God. I see you. I'm experiencing you in this moment. Or maybe you're sitting down and you've got like a big old plate of 
tacos and you're like, oh man, this is such good food. You're like, God, thank you for tacos. I see you in this moment and I worship you in this moment for my tacos. Or maybe, you know, you see something really beautiful. You're out and you see the ocean and it's beautiful. And you think, God, you created this. Thank you for this. God, I see you in this moment. I worship you. I love you. Thank you for this. And as I've learned to do that, I've, I've really felt God's presence and God's closeness more and more in seeing him making those moments every day. And like, I know we, like you, that's the kind of thing you say about marriage, like do dishes together and make it fun. But like we do that with God too, you know, like see God in the moments and thank him for that. So just to recap, we talked about how worship means bowing down. It's a question of where is our heart's loyalty? That's the overarching picture of worship. Who do we worship? Who's the king of our heart? Who does our loyalty go to? And then secondly, worship is about us coming and giving a gift to God. We come and we give ourselves and we give our lives to God. We do not come to God saying, God, give me something. And sometimes we need that and sometimes we come with that attitude. But if that is always our approach to God in worship, I don't think that that is really a true understanding of worship. We need to come into worship saying, God, I want to give you my life. Even on the days when it's hard to say that. Say, God, I want to give you my life. I'm giving you my worship, even though it's hard today. God, I love you, even though it's hard today. And God is such a good father. He so often comes and he meets us in that place and he fills us up in that place of worship when we come and we give ourselves to him. And then, you know, that, that act of giving our lives to him, we, we walk that out in everyday life, in our everyday moments of being obedient to God. When we live our lives in obedience to God, that is an act of worship to him. That's a beautiful act of worship to him. Don't ever underestimate the significance of your obedience. Every time you make a good choice, even when it's hard, that's worship to God and God honors that. He really honors that. He sees that and it blesses his heart every time we're obedient, every time we're faithful, every time we do relationships right and well, even when it's hard, God is blessed. Every little act of obedience blesses the heart of God. That is worship to God. And then secondly, in those special moments with God, his heart is so blessed as well. When we take time aside and we say, God, I'm just going to spend this five minutes or I'm just going to spend this worship time at church focusing all on you. I'm going to really connect with you in this moment. I'm going to put my phone on, do not disturb, or whatever I need to do to really focus on you, God, and to tell him how much we love him. That so blesses his heart as well. Thank goodness we do not have to bring sheepies anymore. Thank goodness that God's made a way that worship is so much easier and so much more intimate. We're living in good days, people. When we're living in the days of tacos and Netflix, we're living in the days of Marvel movies and The Office and so many good things and the days where we experience the presence of God, which is obviously the better of all the things. But we could have been born at any time. You know, we could have been born in the time when Christians were getting thrown to the lions and that would have been really hard. And so let's be thankful for the moments and the days that we're born again and for the opportunities that we have. God chose us to be on the earth in this moment. He could have put us on the earth at any time. We could have been walking around in medieval dresses, but he chose to put us on the earth right now. So we get to worship God and be his people on the earth right now. And that is so exciting. We get to worship him in that. So I'm just going to pray and we're going to have a little communal moment of worship and of thanking God. And then we're going to wrap up the service but um yeah god we just we come before you god and we're so sorry for the times that we come to you and all we want to do is ask for more from you
God. And we thank you that you are such a kind Father, that you don't mind that. You're always happy to give to us. But God, teach us how to come before you with hearts that want to minister to you. God, we love you. You just... You minister to us so much and you bless us so much. God, teach us to be a people that blesses your heart as well, God. God, teach us how to be obedient. Teach us how to see you in small moments in the day. God, teach us how to really connect with you and we have special moments of worship, God. God, teach us how to live lives that bless your heart. We love you, God. God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful, God, for all that you've given us. We really love you. And God, I just pray for every person here this morning that wherever they're at on their journey with you, God, I pray that this week they will have a new experience with you, God. God, I know that worship isn't primarily about experience, but you love to meet us in that place. And so, God, we just pray for fresh experiences with you, God. We pray for all of us that we'll be able to live lives that bless your heart this week. And we thank you that in that place, you don't let us walk out empty-handed most of the time, God. I know there's sometimes when it feels dry, but so often, God, you pour out your heart on us in those moments. And so we just pray for that blessing over people as they give their lives to you in worship. We thank you so much that you are so kind to us and that you fill us up in that place as well. In Jesus' name, amen.